Welcome those of you watching live online right now and those of you who will watch later in the week. As we've learned in this series, while we've grown in this building, there are actually thousands more of you who watch every week online. We want you to know you're part of this vision and this movement with us, and we want to encourage you to take part of it with us. Well, if you were following along this time last year, you might remember my family. We had an uninvited visitor in our backyard. It was a raccoon. And we had this kind of dramatic story of capturing the raccoon in a little trap and then releasing the raccoon. Well, you guys aren't going to believe what happened yesterday morning at breakfast. So we're sitting at the breakfast table and my wife says, I think I see something is moving back there. There's some wildlife. And so we look out the window and we see a creature moving and it runs and it runs toward the deck and it goes under the spot, the exact spot as last year. Now guess what kind of creature it was? I wish. I wish it was a raccoon. It's a fox. Never had a fox, you know, under the deck before. So that's what I'm going to be spending my afternoon Google searching. What do you do if there's a fox under your deck? And if you're on social media, you can let me know if you have experience with that or if you're an experienced fox trapper or hunter. Here's the point, life is always changing. Whether we like it or not, our environment changes, the world changes, nothing is stagnant. And we live at a time in history where entire industries like the newspaper industry and Blockbuster Video and Sears and JCPenney have these huge businesses that seem too big to fail. And in just the matter of a decade or two, because of rapid cultural change, they've become completely irrelevant and many of them are now completely out of business or struggling to even just survive. So the question is, how do we take this thousands of year old institution of the church, which has the power of God in it and the word of God guiding it, and how do we make sure that we don't become one of those churches that is a little empty building somewhere? Have you seen those? You drive by them and it's an old church building that's for sale, or it's an old church building that's falling apart. How do we make sure that we're a church that with an unchanging message, continues to grow and stay relevant in a rapidly changing world? How do we make sure in a society where two out of three young people right now being raised in Christian homes, the national trend is that two out of three will abandon that Christianity by their 30th birthday. How do we make sure that that doesn't happen with our kids and with our grandkids? As the community around us grows and we see houses growing up out of cornfields, we see bigger apartment buildings than we ever thought would be in this area, and we see them filling up almost immediately, how do we make sure that our church continues to grow, not only in size, but in its impact in this community as a force for what is good and for healing and for light and for hope? In a world where people are now forming their identities and their beliefs and doing their banking and their most important decisions on this device, which is more and more becoming part of their brain and part of their heart, how do we make sure that Jesus and this movement of Jesus that we're part of is just as accessible to them as anything else? Well, we're working together to solve those problems, to be intentional, to advance our movement forward in this vision called Greater Things. It's a vision that builds on our existing success, our 180 years of heritage here in this church, and it's a vision that uses our existing momentum to say, we're not just gonna sit still while the world changes around us. We're gonna continue to reach people for Jesus. We're gonna continue to use the tools of our day to tell people about Jesus and to help Christians 
grow deeper and deeper in their faith. And I'm personally just so excited for this Greater Things vision because I know that as we step forward, one, we're gonna see God do amazing things through the vision, but even more in our own hearts. I got to be part of a vision like this sitting right where you are when I was a newspaper journalist out in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was attending a church about this size called Scottsdale Bible, and I remember the pastor standing up and saying, here's this bold vision, and thinking, I don't have that much to contribute compared to this big number he put on the screen, but I got to see what it's like to be in a church this size, and as everyone contributes what they can, God does things that no one of us could ever do, and it was so exciting to see. And it changed me, it changed my relationship with realizing that the God of the Old Testament who parted the Red Sea, the God with little David going up to Goliath and miraculously defeating that giant, that God is alive today. And he works through people who have faith and who respond to him. And when a movement of people like us, when we all step out in faith together like that, we will see God slay giants and do miracles, but we'll also see him do miracles in our own hearts that as we choose to be part of something like that, God actually grows our love for him and for what's right. And he will knit our hearts together as a movement as we step into the future. You know, I've got a vivid vision of a future in which our children and grandchildren don't just kind of survive spiritually, but a vision in which they are spiritual leaders in their dorm rooms and in their careers and in their families and in their homes and eventually on this stage as they lead the church. Our children and grandchildren are the future of the church. In fact, next week, public service announcement, next week is Mother's Day. So if you didn't know, next week is Mother's Day. Let me just say it again. Next week is Mother's Day. So get your cards and stuff now. Don't let it surprise you, okay? And here on Mother's Day, we're gonna talk about the next generation component of our vision. And you'll actually see a number of our teens up here on stage leading us in worship greeting you on your way in because our young people are the future of the church. I also have a vivid vision of these thousands of people who watch us online every week of actually connecting them into relationships and helping them start little groups of Christians wherever they live. They might live in Seattle or in Phoenix or in downtown Indianapolis. They might live in Florida or in Colorado, but we're going to create the tools for them that with a device, they can gather a few people around them and start to have a genuine Christian movement experience, just like we read about in the book of Acts, where the early church, it grew from house to house, and the early church met in homes, and we can lead using the technology of our day, giving these people who are already watching our messages a chance to really learn how to study the word of God, learn to meet each other's needs, really invite them to be part of the movement of God in their hearts and in their lives. Well, you know if you've been following Jesus for a little while, that very often what Jesus says to do, it's a matter of denying ourselves. Jesus once said this, he said, if anyone wants to find their life, they must lose it. But if anyone loses their life for my sake, they'll find it. And what he was saying is this, very often God calls you to do something out of love for him or for another person, And it's not comfortable, just like God coming to earth in the person of Jesus wasn't comfortable for him. It's a sacrifice. You step out and you do what's uncomfortable, but there's this principle in scripture that it kind of boomerangs back and it ends up blessing you. Not always in the most obvious way, but in the deepest ways, in the things that money can't buy, like peace and joy and meaningful relationships. And so as you follow Christ, 
You'll have different times where he says, deny yourself in this thing. And there's this irony that when we do that, it often comes back to bless us. Well, the greater things vision is about following God so we can reach our neighbors, so we can prepare our children and prepare for the future. But I do wanna share with you the answer to this question, what will following God into greater things, what will it do for you? In other words, if you do choose to say, I'm gonna be part of this two-year campaign and from the heart, I'm gonna make a commitment to be part of this movement, what will it do for you? Because it will actually do some things for you as well. And here's the first thing, it'll allow you to be part of a historic accomplishment one that brings hope and life in a world where suicide is on the rise and addictions to opioid and screens and all sorts of things are on the rise, we can be a part of something that brings meaningful hope, proven hope that changes lives and families for the better. And we're already bringing it to thousands. We get to be part now of a historic movement where we step out and say, we're gonna reach even more and we're gonna reach them more significantly. We talked last week about the lunar landing and how it took 40,000 people to work together to put Neil Armstrong on the moon, and that many of those 40,000 people, for the rest of their lives, they told their kids and their grandkids, I was part of landing on the moon. They were part of a truly historic accomplishment. And we sit in a building, we're in a room that is here because of a historic accomplishment from people before us who had a vision and stepped out in a way that maybe wasn't comfortable for them, but they denied themselves to put us first. And because of them, we're here. And this church, by God's grace, and because of the faith of people before us, this church is just a beacon of hope in this community. And we get to be now the generation that says, we're gonna keep this thing growing and moving forward. You know, if you choose to be part of this greater things vision, then every time you drive by this building, you can look at it and you can genuinely say, that building's there because of me. I'm helping to pay down the mortgage on that building. It's there because of me. When you hear the stories of individuals being changed and of thousands of people hearing about Jesus, you can genuinely know that's happening because of me. God's the one doing the work, but I'm one of the people he's using to make it happen. Well, last week I shared with you a little bit about our digital reach and how now on average 7,000 people, but many weeks 14 or 15,000 people watch this message, not just a little bit of it, but the whole thing, and that while we're reaching more people in the building than ever, we're also reaching way more online than ever before. And I mentioned that as we prayed about, God, what are you calling us to do? We knew about these people all around the country watching, and so we were already praying toward, let's, let's invest in that area. And it was in the middle of praying about that that I was pulling through a Starbucks drive through and the barista said, hey, I think I know you. And I said, yeah, where, where from? And he said, Connection Point, right? And I said, yes. Uh, and, he, and so then I actually asked him, I said, when have you been there? When have you come? He said, I've never been to the building. And if you were here last week, you heard the story that this barista, Josh, he said, I'm legally blind, and so I can't drive. I have to get rides to work. And because I can't drive, I've never really been able to be part of a church, but I watch you guys online every Sunday at 11.15. Um, so wave to Josh if you guys want. But, <laughs> but here, I told you guys that story last week, and then someone tweeted this to me from our church. Check this out. Hey, John S. Dickerson, the barista you mentioned today lives in our neighborhood. His name's Josh. He had to work today. So I told him to watch the service and that he was mentioned, not by name, but he was very excited and couldn't wait to listen. What I loved about this tweet 
is, is this proof of what we have here. You see, I think one of our greatest assets as a church is our love for people. This is a relational church. And we know that digital and screens, they can't replace relationships. In fact, very often they're dividing relationships, but they can be used as a tool to instigate and connect relationships just like this. Josh is watching us every week, and he knows someone in our church who lives in his neighborhood who clearly told him about our church. Well, we know Josh is one of 7,000 on average, oftentimes more across the U.S. Here's where they are all around the country. And we talked about these different clusters all around the country, and that the circles about this size represent about 600 regular viewers. And our vision with digital is to take their relationship with Christ to the next level. It's great that they're watching us online. We wanna help them start a group of believers around them where they're praying together and fully expressing what a New Testament church looks like. Well, to give you a sense of how God can use digital presence to connect real relationships, I wanna show you a true story from a sister church of ours called Compass Christian Church. And they started their online church about two years ago. And I want you to see the true story of a woman named Joy who met Christ and has found major healing in her life because of their online church. Go ahead and take a look. Hi, my name is Joy. This is my online story. So in 2016, I got divorced and I knew I needed some help to get, kind of get through the whole thing. So I looked online for a group class and found Divorce Care. It was at Compass, Compass Church, and I said, great, I know where that is. It was a really good group, so we had a lot of good discussions. And as part of that discussion, um, uh, some of the group members actually came up and started talking about Compass. And with that, they also mentioned online, so that if we couldn't attend in person, that there was an option to attend online as well. They encouraged all of us that was in the class that wasn't a member of Compass to actually you know, start going to Compass or at least you know, start listening online. One of the reasons uh, I started to watch Compass online um, was because I have a lot of anxiety about going to church. I wasn't sure you know, what to expect. Online was a great way for me to see what the, what the service is like. So after listening online for a while, um, I was um, encouraged to attend in person and there was a lot of anxiety. Getting in the car, driving to Compass, and actually just walking to the parking lot. It was hard, because I haven't done it by myself before. But once I got here, it was great. Um, There's people at the door who greeted me that day. They had a smile on their face and happy attitude that I was there, and I really appreciated that. Since I've been coming to Compass, um, I, was, I attended a service that was a couple weekends before baptism weekend, um, and I decided to get baptized. Um, in addition to that, the coolest thing is that I got to be baptized with my kids. So they have seen um, how Jesus has helped me so much that they are inspired um, to follow Jesus. So after um, attending Compass for a while, I was able to sign up for Rooted, uh, and I met really great, inspiring women uh, through that class and one of the um, gals, Katie, she serves online um, and hosts online every weekend and she encouraged me because I have a background with computers that I would be a good fit to host online. So I shouted her one weekend and it was a good experience and now I, get, I serve online every Sunday and help to you know, bring, bring encouragement to people um, uh, through Compass online.
I am so thankful for my divorce care group and for those members of Compass who invited me to attend online. It has made a tremendous difference in my life. It has brought my kids to Jesus and introduced me to the most inspiring prayer warriors in my reader group. Isn't that great? I just love that example that digital can be used by God to connect people into real life-changing relationship. I wonder who in your life might fit a little bit of that profile. Who in your life, maybe they wouldn't walk in these doors, maybe because of a physical disability or maybe because of social anxiety or they're just so broken emotionally or maybe they live in Los Angeles or Phoenix or somewhere far away and you care about them, you wanna connect them to Jesus. Who in your life fits that profile? Well, Friday night I was hanging out with some friends in Avon and I was out in the front yard actually throwing the baseball to some of the kids who were practicing some batting with a little uh, soft Nerf bat. And all of a sudden, the neighbor ran out from across the street. And this neighbor said, hey, Pastor John, we go to Connection Point. I've been wanting to meet you. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. So I got to show you a picture of Holly, who I got to meet Friday night. And as Holly and I are talking, I asked, as I often do when I get to meet people, how long have you been coming to Connection Point? She explained that her and her husband have just been coming for a few years. Now their parents are coming. And then she told me this incredible story. She said that her sister had for a long time been spiritually disengaged, was kind of cynical about Jesus and Christianity and all of that. Well, tragically, in the last year, her sister went through a really devastating time and was just really broken. And she thought, I, I think my sister's receptive to Jesus now, but the thing is her sister lives three hours south of here. So she sent her sister the link to our online services. And guess what? Her sister started watching six months ago. And it was so fun for me on Friday night, completely unexpected, to get to hear this story from Holly that her sister has now believed in Jesus and is growing in Jesus. In fact, she said, my sister's been calling me and saying, in June, I'm gonna be in Indianapolis for work and we've gotta make plans. I wanna go to your church in person when I'm there for work. Isn't that so cool? Isn't that so cool? And just, you know, just like the story we saw in the video and just like Josh, who's the barista, the life change, it happens in relationship, right? This is happening because Holly has been praying for her sister and she cares about her and she's reaching out to her and the screen can't replace that relationship, but it can dovetail and it can come alongside and it can do some communicating and connecting of God's truth uh, in a deep, deep way. Well, you're going to see in our lobby this map of the United States. And I'd encourage you to stop by it because we've got these little blue greater than stickers. And I'd encourage you to grab one of those stickers and here's where you can place it anywhere on the map. Who do you know who you want them to have an experience like Holly's sister had? Or you want them to have an experience like Joy had in the video or like Josh the barista. So I've got a sticker here in Phoenix where one of my old former newspaper editor's works. And this newspaper editor, she's a dear friend of mine. She's deeply agnostic and atheist, and we've had so many conversations about Jesus and faith. We have a great relationship with each other where we respect each other. And I know I'm never gonna get her into this room on an Easter weekend or some weekend we share the good news, but I know that as we create the tools online, that she's one I can send those messages to and say, hey, I'd love for you to have a look at this. So the question is for you, 
Who's that person? Do they live in Florida? Do they live in the Northeast? Do they live in LA? Who's that person? And when you're in the lobby anytime, grab one of those stickers and place it on the map where that person is. I'd also encourage you, when you see this map, because it's gonna be up for the next couple of years as we go through this vision, let the Spirit of God prompt you to pray for these different stickers, because everyone represents a real person who really needs the power of God in their life. Pray for those stickers, for those people, for those cities. Well, there's a second way as you follow God into greater things that serving him and others will actually boomerang back to you, and it's this. It ensures that the kingdom of God expands in your heart. You know, I've learned that my heart is a lot like a, a garden where it's springtime and you kind of have to do some weeding and you put down fresh mulch and then after it rains, new weeds pop up through the mulch. And it's the same in my heart with what God calls sin. When we place our faith in Christ, he forgives our sins and we know we have eternal life based on his work on the cross, not on what we do. But living the Christian life is kind of this constant cultivation of the heart because there are different sins of selfishness and apathy and greed and other things that want to take over our hearts. And so part of having a relationship with God and walking with him daily is saying, you know, God, what do I need to weed out of my heart today? And there are times in my life where I think, man, there's these things over here that I'm drawn to. I wish I didn't have those desires. And there's these things over here that I know are good. I wish I had more desire for what's good. Did you know that Jesus teaches, and we're going to see this in a moment, that where you place your treasure, your desires follow? And so as you choose to say, I'm investing in the kingdom of God, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God, believe it or not, your desires will follow. So you actually have a chance to ensure that the kingdom of God expands in your heart and expands in your family. You know, we can't control our kids. We can't control people's free will, but we can say, I'm claiming this house. I'm claiming this territory for the kingdom of God. I want the kingdom of God to expand in my family and we want the kingdom of God to expand in our community. Well, there's a third way as we follow God into greater things that we will benefit, and it's this, we'll experience as individuals God's provision and his power. If you've never stepped out before and given to God in a radical way, you'll find that when you do this, you experience his provision. He's gonna show up in ways you don't expect and can't even anticipate to meet your needs, and in a tangible way, you will look back years from now and you'll say, oh, I'm so glad the vision happened and those people were reached and my kids and grandkids were invested in, but I'm especially glad for what happened in my heart because I experienced God like never before. Well, this week, my hope for you is that you'll join me and the leadership here in taking that commitment card and really praying and saying, God, what are you calling me to do to be part of this? And so here's the question we're asking, how should we decide our commitments? How should we decide our commitments? Me and Mel had to pray about this for our family. God, what are you calling us to do in this Greater Things campaign? For this two-year window from June of this year to June of 2021, what are you calling us to do? And as we prayed about that, God reminded me of something that a pastor was bold enough to teach me, and it truly has changed my relationship with God as it relates to my finances for the better. It has set me free, and I've seen God's power like never before. And the story comes from the first ever offering of gifts to God 
in human history. It's found in Genesis chapter four, and it's the true story of Cain and Abel. Maybe you've heard of these guys. They were Adam and Eve's two sons. Uh, They didn't get along very well, but that's a story for another day, okay? Cain and Abel, here's how the story starts in Genesis four, verse two. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So Cain's a farmer of crops and Abel's a shepherd. Story goes on, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. So if you want to visualize this, it's harvest time. He harvests all the fruit, all the grains. He's got all this food, and he might have a party, do a few other things, and then he takes some of it, and he goes and says, oh, God, I know you created everything. You gave me all this, so I want to give some back to you, okay? Now, in contrast, Abel also brought a gift, but it was a different gift. He brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. So to put this in context, if you're a shepherd and your sheep have baby sheep, lambs, that is your next generation of income. That's your next generation of sustenance. You're gonna eat and be clothed from that. And Abel doesn't just take some, he takes the first, and from the first he takes the best and he brings that to God. Well, the story continues. It says, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. I highlighted that because Cain and Abel knew something that maybe we don't know. They knew this principle of first and best and that first matters to God. Cain knew that, but he had chosen to ignore that. And then God says this, if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. You know, you're thinking that what you give me is just something, but it's actually your worship. It's, you're showing what you worship. And so be careful with, with what you do because your things are eager to control you rather than you controlling your things. And then God says to him, you must subdue it and be its master. What's the principle? Very simple. The first offering in human history, it was about first and best versus last and least. Now, the first time a pastor taught this to me and then, you know, I went back through to study like, oh, is that actually true? I had never heard this before. I'd never heard this idea of firsts before. You know what I found out? God talks about firsts and firstborns and us giving him the first more than 140 times in the Bible. In fact, maybe you've heard of the 10 commandments. Guess what the first one is? The first one is keep me in first place. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So God is a God who cares about first things. And I wanna give you an illustration of this because many cultures are what we call a shame, honor culture. That's the kind of culture that Jesus lived in. The majority of the world today and in history has lived in shame and honor cultures where honor's a big deal. We don't live in a shame, honor culture. So in a shame, honor culture, guess what happens at any meal? The most honored person is seated first and then the most honored person gets the first choice of the food. How do we do it in America? It's like feed the kids first, feed the dog, right? It's not right or wrong. We just don't live in a shame on our culture. We don't fully understand this idea of firsts like many people in history have. But I wanna give you an illustration you can probably understand and relate to it, help me understand it. I want you to imagine that you get a call from the State Department. 
and they say, uh, the President of the United States wants to come over to your house for dinner. Now, I know right now, President of the United States is a divisive topic, okay? So if you can't imagine respecting the President of the United States, imagine any dignitary, any head of state, they're coming to your house for dinner, okay? The point is, this is someone you really respect. The world respects this person, you respect this person, and so you agree, you'll have them over for dinner, okay? So everything happens just like it would if an actual president or head of state was coming. The Secret Service arrives first. They check out your whole house. They put snipers up on the roofs of your neighbor's houses. The bomb-sniffing dogs come in and, and sniff through the whole neighborhood and in your house. And then the police escort arrives with all the lights and all the sirens. And then here comes the bulletproof limousine. And it stops and the door opens. And all these secret service guards, they kind of create this human tunnel. And that president or that head of state walks through that human tunnel to your front door comes into your house, sits down at your dining room table. And I want you to imagine that in that moment, that head of state, that very important person is there and they say, oh, I'm so glad you've had me over for dinner. What, what are we gonna have? And I want you to imagine that at that moment, you're kind of like, uh, you know, I gotta be honest. I did not really plan ahead for this. Uh, so you grab like one of those red disposable solo cups that you use, you know, plastic cups that you use at parties. And you're like, let me get you something to drink. And you get the drink and then you're like, you know, let me go over and look in the fridge and see what we have. You know, so you open up the fridge and you're kind of rooting around in there. Like, you know, I've got some leftover meatloaf. Uh, it reheats really well. It's a good meatloaf. I've got half a bowl of mac and cheese. Do you like mac and cheese? Right? So you guys get the idea, right? It feels a little awkward to even put yourself in that situation. But like, we would never give a really honored guest our last and our leftovers. We'd give them our first and our best. And so even as Americans, we, we kind of understand this. I was thinking about this principle of first and how God says all through Scripture, He cares about being in first place. And by the way, He deserves to be in first place. Uh, and that's why we worship Him. He deserves to be in first place. And I was thinking about our kids, even in a culture that doesn't really talk about shame and honor very much, that if you want to start a brawl, an all-out fight with a bunch of elementary kids, here, here's a really simple way to do it, okay? You just get a pinata or something fun, and you line them all up in a circle, and then you just ask this question, who wants to go first, <laughs> right? Me, 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 no, not you, me, right? Why is that? Why do kids just inherently want to go first? It's because we're made in the image of God. It's because firsts matter. And God desires to be in first place. He also deserves to be in first place. But as I studied the idea of firsts in scripture, you know what's fascinating? Is that God gave his first and best for you. In his offering, God gave me his first and best. You know, Philippians 2 says that almighty God humbled himself took upon him the form of a man, and then he was further humbled to be humiliated and die a public shameful death on a cross. So the God who is first and deserves to be first willingly became last so that he could reach you and me. But firsts matter so much to God that Jesus is often referred to as God's first and best. Jesus is God's gift to us, and he's often referred to as first and best. You know the story from Luke chapter 2. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible that Mary had her firstborn son, 
and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Jesus was a firstborn. That was not an accident. Firsts matter to God. Colossians 1.15 is describing Jesus' deity, that he's almighty God, but it describes him as the firstborn over all creation. Well, Jesus was never born as God. He's existed eternally, but God uses that term because he wants us to know God gave his first and best for us. Revelation 1.17, Jesus is speaking and he says, Behold, I am the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. God gave his first and best for us. Maybe you've heard this verse before, John 3.16. God so loved the world, that is the people of the world, you, your neighbors, your kids, us, that he gave. And this is how we give back to God, out of love we give. We're not trying to buy our salvation when we give to God. Our salvation was purchased at the cross. But God loved us so much that he gave, and notice what he gave, right? He could have sent like a lower ranking angel, or even maybe like, you know, Michael, there's these archangels who are like a big deal in heaven. He could have sent them. He sent his best. Second part of the Trinity, of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, Almighty God, God the Son, comes to earth, willingly dies in our place so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. So interesting, God cares about my first and best. God gave me his first and best. And the third thing God says on this topic is that my finances reveal my heart's actual first and best. You know, it's so interesting in scripture, there's so much teaching on our finances in scripture because God says that more or less our finances they're the front line of a war. There's a spiritual war that's happening in my heart every day and in yours. And God says that what we do with our treasures is the front line of that war. And it's such an interesting principle because this God who cares about firsts, over and over he says, if you give me your first, just a portion, but do that first, then I'll bless the rest and I'll take care of the rest of your life. But so many of us, were so afraid to just give him that little bit of the first. But if we give him that little bit of the first, he, he always takes care of the rest. Because giving him that first is about putting our heart in his kingdom. Here's how Jesus put it in Luke 12, verse 34. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is Jesus' teaching. And I call this a law of spiritual physics because Jesus tells us this for our benefit. Right? God made everything. He owns everything. He doesn't need our money. But he says, where you put your money, your heart will follow. He tells us this for our benefit. You know, laws of spiritual physics, literal laws, like the law of gravity, means that if you were to throw a brick up in the air, it's going to fall on the ground. And if you acknowledge that law, you can use it and have a good life. If you don't acknowledge it, you can get very hurt. And there are laws of spiritual physics in the word of God where God says just this is how the universe works. You can either bang your head against the wall and deny it or you can accept it and leverage it. And the principle is this, where you put your dollars, your heart follows. And this is true of all people. It's true of atheists. It's true of people who don't believe God exists. Where you put your dollars, your heart follows. So I'll give an example that as a car guy makes a lot of sense to me and uh, maybe you can relate to this if you love a good car, okay? I want you to picture a classic car. Maybe it's a 69 Camaro. Maybe it's a Shelby Cobra. Maybe it's something Italian, whatever you're into, okay? You picture your classic car, and I want you to imagine that you take all the treasure you have or a lot of your treasure, and you, and you put it into that car. 
By the way, there's nothing wrong with having a really nice classic car. I probably never will in this life, but I know in heaven I will, okay? There's nothing wrong with a classic car, and let's say you put some treasure in that car, and let's say you put some more treasure in and you pay for a really, really high-end paint job on this car. And so you've got the car at a car show one day, and you're parked there, and uh, you're kind of distracted talking to some people, and a big SUV pulls up next to you, full of family, full of kids, and the kids open the back door, like kids do, as fast as humanly possible, and that giant back door of that SUV, boom, right into your high-end paint job, through every layer of paint, even into the metal. And what happens, if you have a proper relationship with cars, what happens? your heart physically hurts, right? You possibly are in tears. I mean, your heart hurts. Why would that be? It's because your heart does follow your treasure. Uh, This is true if you want to love something more. I was talking earlier, you know, there's things where I'm like, I don't wanna desire that, but I'm drawn to it. I do wanna desire these things, but I'm not feeling it. Well, guess what? Whenever I put my treasure there, my heart follows. So maybe you're like, "I, I wish I loved my spouse more. I'd like to be more attracted to my spouse. I mean, I choose to love them, but I don't always feel it. Guess what? Put your treasure there. Tell your spouse, hey, you are my top priority. Whatever would make you happy, help you feel good about yourself, you know, anything within some certain boundaries here, you do it and I will pay for it. And guess what? Guess what happens if you do that? You will start to love that person more. I've seen non-Christians who don't believe in the Bible or Jesus use that principle to improve their marriages, sometimes better than some Christians do. And here Jesus told us, if you wanna love your spouse more, invest in them, put your treasure there. You wanna love your child more, invest in them. The kids are all like, yes, yes, invest in them. Okay. (laughs) Point is, it's it's a law of spiritual physics and Jesus says it for our advantage. And so here's really the question that I came to as Mel and I prayed about that commitment card and said, God, what are you calling us to do for this two-year period? The question was this, what will I do with my first and best during these two years? Because we all have a first and best. And and God doesn't expect your neighbor's first or best from you. This is a one-on-one thing. This is you and God. But the question for you is, during these next two years, what will your first be? What will your best be? And think about that as you you pray, because the goal of this, when I met with the leadership team at the very beginning of this campaign, and we looked at, here's how much this vision would cost for us to really pull this off. They said, what is our biggest goal? I said, my biggest goal as a shepherd it is not that number. I do pray that we reach that number so that we can do these things to reach lots of people. But my biggest goal is that every person in our church and in our movement would fill out one of these cards and be part of it, even if they're starting at the amount of their monthly Netflix payment. But they put their foot in the door and they say, I'm gonna start investing in the kingdom of God and I'm gonna start doing it consistently. It's going to become the first thing I do every month. Even if you start at $15 a month, but you say, this'll be, when I get a paycheck, that's the first check I write, or that's the first auto pay that goes off. Every pay period or every month, that's the first thing. Now, your best is between you and God, but choosing to say, it's my first thing, all of us can do that. And here's what I know. I've seen this in my life free me from the love of money. I've seen it put in my heart a love for the kingdom of God, and that's ultimately my prayer is that everyone in this church would would just get your foot in the door and start saying, God, my first is for you. Well, I wanna show you a true story 
of a family here in our church who were giving God their first. And a few years ago, this church had a campaign called Unstoppable, and that's what built Kid City, the front lobby, uh, a big part of this facility. And this family, at that time, they were already giving their first, and they prayed and said, God, what's our best? And it was an uncomfortable number for them, but they stepped out. And I want you to see how God worked in their lives and most importantly, in their hearts. Let's take a look. Back when I was about seven years old, my brother and I started a mowing business and we mowed acre size yards for $10 a piece. And every time we got paid, my father was very good about making sure we were paid uh, with a five and five ones. So the first dollar of our 10 uh, went to the Lord. The second two dollars went to savings, and then we got to spend the rest. My father did the same, um, just instilled in me that it was very important to, you know, the Lord allowed us to keep so much, but that that first 10% um, went to him and that it was used for wonderful things within the church. So when we got married, we didn't make very much money. But again, because of the way we were brought up, that first 10% of every paycheck that we received uh, went right back to the church. And it was never, never really a struggle. We really truly believed that God was blessing us uh, at that point in our, in our life. I was invited to be a part of the Unstoppable Vision in putting on the events. Pastor Steve at the time really encouraged us to pray about a number that God's laying on your heart um, to give towards this vision. The first thought we both had when we shared numbers with each other was there's no way. We knew that number was what God was putting on our heart, but there was just no way we were going to get there. We just kept praying about it and decided that was the number. And uh, we both wrote it down on the, on the commitment card. We signed the commitment card and turned it in. My anxiety kind of started because I started thinking about where, where's that going to come from. And in the midst of us committing that number, Kirk had left the firm that he was working for downtown um, and had started a new firm here in Brownsburg. So not only were we making a big commitment, but we were making a big commitment with a new business. About six months into the vision after we made our commitment, Christmas had come and gone. We had cut back on Christmas that year to earmark money for the vision. This man walked in my office and he said, I, I happen to be uh, working out in the intersection and looked over and saw your law firm and we talked and we took his case and we were able to complete his case in about nine months after all was said and done on that case after everybody was paid all the bills were paid everybody uh, received a bonus I looked down at the check that I received which was my portion and it was the exact number that we had written on the uh, commitment card about a year earlier he called me, um, I, you know, he said that and I was like, oh, well, of course it did. You know, I mean, it was a, you know, God provides and that, you know, that just made it easier for us. We certainly would have, you know, figured out a way for that to happen anyway, you know, but God just, you know, he kind of like just put his little touch on it like, oh, you know, I really do have you. So going forward, we have now started the same journey that our parents did with us, with our kids, because we want them to see that you can do this um, and still receive such a huge blessing. Blessing is not just money. Um, God blesses us, with, us in so many other ways. One of the things I believe we learned from uh, the Unstoppable campaign is trust God. Isaiah 46, 4, I made you and will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. 
from the beginning to the end. He made us, He will carry us through everything. Um, he will sustain us, He will give us everything that we need. But then if something happens that we step out of, He's gonna rescue us too. I truly believe that, that my dad's uh, motto, that you can't outgive God, is alive and well. Uh, and it's, it's proven in, in our everyday life. So I love Kurt and Christy's story because it starts with giving God the first and then from the heart they just say, we want to give you our best. And I hope you sensed in there, yes, God took care of them financially, but it's just way, way bigger than that. It's about where our heart is and how our heart does follow our treasure. And so the question I want to encourage you to ask this week is that question, what will I do with my first and best during this two-year period, from June of this year to June of 2021. And on your way in, you got one of these Greater Things booklets. In the very back of the booklet, you will see this little commitment card. And I just wanna encourage you to handle it today and know, first of all, it doesn't bite, okay? It may actually set you free, though. There is a lot of power in our relationship with God, and God's the one who says that our finances are the front line of that relationship. And I just want to invite you this week to join the elders, the leadership here, me and my wife Mel, in praying about what is that commitment. Now, a number of us have already prayed, and the, the target for all of us who are giving regularly is if we can all increase by 50%, then we'll hit the target for this goal. So that gives you a human benchmark, but here's the thing, every one of us, it's gonna be a different answer as you seek God about what's your first, what's your best. I've had some families already come to me and say, we're gonna double. I've had others, a widow who said, I'm giving consistently, I'm heartbroken that I can't give more, but I can't, she's a widow on social security. It's like, my goodness, we're just so glad you are putting God first. Don't guilt yourself, don't shame yourself. God knows your situation. He knows where you're at. He knows what he's entrusted to you. But the question is, what will my first and best look like? And will I fill out a card? Will I be part of this movement? I mentioned that my goal for this campaign is that we get a card from every one of our regular givers, but I wanna see at least 100 new cards because I know there's a whole bunch of you who've joined our movement in the last year. And depending on where you're at, spiritually and financially, you might be starting at that Netflix payment or maybe you say, I'm gonna match my car payment. Or maybe you've been doing that and you say, I I'm gonna start actually working toward that 10% tithe. I don't know what your best is, but here's the two questions to ask during this week as you pray about that card. Question one, is this my first? We can all do that. In my priorities every month, is this the first auto pay or the first check? Is this the first in order? even if it's $15 or whatever the amount is that is your best, is it your first in moment of order? And I've gotta say, when, when I learned this, I was writing checks at the time for all my bills and I just started to say, every time I get paid, that's gonna be the first check that I write. And something happened in my heart. The amount wasn't what I had wanted it to be at the time. It's been able to grow since then as I've learned to handle my finances better. But just by doing that first, it like took territory for God in my heart. So make it your first, and then second, make it your best. Your best. 
You know, if you go to a gym and you see these people who are really, really fit, whether it's the huge muscular people or the people who do a bunch of cardio, do you know how they stay really fit and they keep improving? They always know what their best is and they're always pushing to get just a little bit past their best, their personal best or their record. And so the question is for you, what's your best? So that's where for me and Mel, as we prayed about this, it was like, okay, make it our first we're gonna increase monthly what we do and we can cut some of these things out of our monthly budget as a family. But when it came to the best, and again, this will be different for everyone, but for us, it was like, well, we had this money set aside to remodel our master bathroom. 50 years from now, that bathroom's gonna you know, be ripped out probably sooner than that, even if we remodel it by someone else. And we know if we put that, those funds into our kids and reaching more people for Christ, we're not gonna regret it. So that's where we were able to find some of our best. But the question is for you, what's your best? And that's gonna be between you and God to answer. The goal is that you will take a step in your relationship with God as it relates to your finances because Jesus says this is the front line in your relationship with him. Well, when you fill that card out, you can drop it in the offering next week. You can place it in the lobby. We've got a place for them. The weekend of May 18th and 19th, we're gonna have a huge kind of, celebration where we'll have baskets at the front. If you wanna bring your card forward, then you can. Whenever you fill your card out, we will give you one of these little jars. And here's what will be in your jar. There's some dirt which represents us paying down this facility so that someday we own it free and clear. There's a little bit of circuit board which represents us reaching people through digital. And then there's a piece of paper and we wanna encourage you to write the name of someone on that piece of paper, someone who you specifically relate to this vision. So for me, on one side of that piece of paper is the name of my three kids, Jack and Zoe and Evie, because for me, greater things is about saying, we're gonna raise a generation where in a world that's less and less friendly to Christianity, they'll know their faith and they'll be confident and proud about their faith. But on the other side of that paper, I wrote the name of that newspaper editor in Phoenix who I continue to pray for and who has a sticker on the map out there. So you'll get one of these after you make your commitment. You'll write the names of the people you're praying for and doing this for. And then I wanna show you in the lobby how we're gonna kind of memorialize these. So what you see here, every one of these dots is one of these jars and they magnet to the wall and there's gonna be hopefully a couple thousand of them if all of us make a commitment. And what you're gonna see is for the next two years as you come in and out of this lobby, you will be reminded visually, I am part of raising the strongest generation. I'm part of reaching more people. I'm part of this church being prepared to walk through future doors of impossible opportunity that God will open for us.